0: Thank you for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. For more information about us, visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator.
1: for this service. Also, I want people to obey the word of God. I want to open your hand and take me to heaven. Keep the devil away from me. Keep us a thousand feet away from him. When you act for God, he is right there next to you. God, is, no, Jesus. God I know Jesus is his son. I know that Jesus died on the cross and he will rose again. Bless Diana with a big house and a car. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen.
0: Amen. And now I have a special honor. Many, many times Pastor George comes to preach, and no one has ever presented him. So today, I want to tell you a little bit about a special person I know, and his name is Pastor George. I have had the honor and the privilege of calling our pastor brother, of calling him friend, and I call those things brother, not lightly, because it was him who's been with me through my darkest, hardest times, my loneliest times, my ugliest times, of some of which I've shared, but I am just so proud to even call him at a new level now. call him pastor because he truly is a pastor and has a shepherd's heart and i I don't think it's very easy for pastor george to say no and so i just want you to help me and welcome me in joining and asking our pastor to come this morning i love you Pastor.
1: Amen. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bruiser. Bruiser. Amen. Listen, I, I I usually, first of all, let's give it up for the kids one more time. Amen. I I usually during prayer and stuff, I go to my office, I get the mic, I get my stuff. I kind of get myself geared up and 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 get myself in the in the mode, I guess, you know, but but this morning it was like, I felt like and like I was like an MMA fighter and I was about to just take on like my biggest opponent. You know, I was going to go into an ultimate fighting challenge ring, cage match or something with bottles and barbed wire or something. And I just felt, and I kept pacing back and forth in the office, kind of getting wired up. I don't normally do that. I don't try to pump myself up. I'm usually real cool and relaxed about it. But I was kind of getting geared up like I was coming in for a fight. And, I, and then I started to calm down. I said, okay, relax. Well, what's the big deal? But then I realized that it's, it's probably the topic that I chose that I'm going to battle this morning. And, and so I, I realized it is a battle. And so I might step on some toes today. But you know what? I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to, to, to have a lot of fans. I'm not here to make people like me. My role here is to bring the Word of God. Amen? So, so if I offend anybody, if I hurt anybody today, if I push some buttons today, take it up with my boss. Amen? All right. All right. Here's a quote this morning. i like to start with a quote. Presidential campaign and everything coming up, I figure I'll go way back and go to Abraham Lincoln. He says, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. If you want to test a man's character, give him power. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Well, in case you haven't seen or in case you you were brain dead this morning, obviously this is children's ministry day. And and if you notice, there were children at the front as ushers and there were children as greeters and there were children in the worship team and there were children praying and there were children taking offering and and, and, and everything. There were children in every um, part of the ministry. And I want to tell you, I've already told the, the ministry leaders and everybody, make that a regular thing. Put these kids in the rotation as ushers and greeters and worship team. Put them in. You know why? Because they're excited about what they're doing. And and some of us have forgotten that excitement of what it was to be in ministry. And some of us come as like, oh, I gotta be a greeter this morning. That means I gotta be there on time. That means I gotta be there before everybody else. That means I gotta make sure. (coughs) Sorry. Everything's ready. And, and it becomes this drudgery. Oh, God, okay, here I am with the pamphlets. Good morning. But, but you give a kid something to do, and they get excited about it. They're like, wow, I get to do something. I get to do a big people job. I get to be, have meaning. I get to have purpose. Amen? So I said, put them in the rotation. They were here before anybody else anyway. See, the reason that I want to do this and the reason that, that, that I was excited when Melissa approached me about all this is because our desire is to empower our children. Okay? We want to empower our kids. We want to give them a sense of purpose. See, to empower simply means this, to give someone the authority or the power to do something. Some of... Let me not even go there. To enable someone to do something. It means to make someone stronger and more confident in controlling their lives. So that's what we want to do to our kids, isn't it? We want to empower them. We want to make them stronger. Give them the ability and the control for their lives. That's, that's our goal. And see, um, the, the thing about our kids is our kids might... Our kids today, in this generation, in this society, get so much more than we ever had. Amen. And and I, I talk to a lot of people, and that's like your 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 mantra. I just want my kids to have what I didn't have, right? And and you know that's a, that's a great sentiment and all that, but but is it really a good thing? See, our kids today can get in the car and watch TV. Some of us didn't even have radios, right? How many of you had eight tracks? No, we don't go that far back. But, but you understand. So our kids can get in the car and watch TV in between the two places where they watch TV. You understand what I'm saying? So our, our kids can, can, can uh, um, put on their iPods and they can, they can listen to music and, and they can download any song that they want 24 hours a day on their computers, which have internet access to the entire world and all of its people. Our kids have everything that we never had, right? How many of you are before internet age? Alright, there's four of us. That's good. See, our kids have... Our, our kids can... can how many little little have text have phones and they text message each other. Our kids can text and chat online to people all over the world. Our kids can text from their phones, can text from their computers, can text from their laptops, can text from their TVs, can text from their sneakers probably. I mean it's just crazy, right? Our our kids have all of these things. Our our kids join social networks like MySpace and Facebook and they have they have Three and four and five thousand friends in their network. These are kids, these are kids that are too ugly to have four friends in school, but on MySpace, I'm, I'm kidding, but you understand what I'm saying. But, but on my, it's all in the angle of the picture, you know. This is the MySpace angle, right? This makes everybody look pretty, this makes everybody look skinny, this makes everybody look sexy. This and the pouty face. How many of you do it? Come on. If I see another pouty face on my face, I'm going to just... Anyway, our kids have all of these things. Our kids have video games at home with, I mean, just hundreds and thousands of options. Listen, my first video game was a tank game. And it had controllers like this. And it was one game. They were... And it was bleeps and dots on the screen and I used to love it boy it was called tank assault or tank attack or something and you'd plug it in and I didn't have brothers and sisters so it was me and my mom and so, you know moms can't know how to play so my mom would always like which is me and I'm like you're the one that's blown up BAM BAM you know and and that was my video game but no kids today they have video games that are that are more real to life than anything right but that's not enough they have portable video games that have the same power and quality and options as the one they have at home. Because God forbid they can only play video games at home. They got to be able to take the games with them in the car while they're watching TV, going from place to place where they can have TV and video games, right? Because what would they do in that space of time? God forbid we talk, right? So, so they have these portable video games and thank God because what else would they do in church, right kids? What else would they do during worship but play with their PSPs? And on these PSPs, they can chat and they can listen to music and they can watch movies on this one little device and and talk to each other, right? As they steal the church's Wi-Fi signal. (laughs) So these kids have everything. Our kids have a lot more than we ever received and, and a lot of us even pride ourselves on that. You're like, yeah, my kid, yeah. I just bought him a cell phone. Now, I know he can't talk yet, but one day he's going to, you know, but he sports, he sports his little sidekick slide on his pamper. And, and one day he can open that joint up and he's going to just write me. His first words are going to be text. Oh, that was good. That wasn't even in the notes. That was good. That was good. But are they getting, are we giving them what, we, what they need to live empowered lives? to make good decisions, to live aware of God, to live with the Jeremiah 29, 11 promise, believing that God has a plan to prosper them, not to harm them, but to give them a hope and a future. Are we believing that for our kids? Are we believing that for us? Here's the toe stepping. There was a poll I read that said in 2007... American adults and children spent 3,518 hours, which adds up to nearly five months, each consuming media. Five months out of the year, adults, this is 2007, five months out of the year, Adults and children spend five months consuming media. There's only 12 months in a year. Do the math. Now, watch this. If the average church kid or adult went to church every Sunday without fail, 52 weeks out of the year, and, and let's say they, they, they sat and listened to the Word, either in the sanctuary or in children's church, and, and that's typically less than an hour. So that's 52 hours a year, just over two days, receiving the Word of God. But let's be fair. Some of, some of us read our Bibles outside of church, hallelujah. Hallelujah some of us will pick up a devotional or something some of us will have a scripture on the refrigerator that we read every day or something hopefully right and so let's let's double that some of us come to prayer on wednesday will come to an extra event besides sunday right so let's double that let's say four days out of the year and then just to be fair let's round it off to five days so five days we are feeding ourselves and empowering ourselves and our children the word of god Five days versus five months of consuming media. You tell me which message will naturally speak louder and naturally have more influence in our lives. I want to title this message, Who is your strong man? And and what I want you to get from this today, what I want you to reflect on and determine today, is simply this, who is the strong man in your life? Who are you listening to? Who are you submitting to? Who's got your ear? Who's got your heart? Who's got your mind? Got real quiet. I want the kids to help me with this message. So, see, I'm going to share from the story of Samson, believe it or not, from the book of Judges. And and so you probably all heard the story, it's usually portrayed in a little kitty story. It's Samson and Delilah. But the, the story really isn't about Samson and Delilah, the story is about Samson and God. Delilah is just the whore that comes in at the end and finally destroys him. Just gonna tell it like it is. So, so children. Here's your part, because I, I want your parents to really listen today. And for some of them it's hard because they're still texting people and they're still looking at their cell phones and they're wondering what they're going to eat and they're wondering who they're going to connect with to go eat afterwards. And all this stuff is going on in their heads. So I'm going to ask you to help me focus your, your, the, the adults in this place. And so every time I say the name Samson, I want every kid in the place to, to say, The strong man. Got me? Because, see, by the time I'm done, I want them to have heard the words strong man over and over and over again in the voices of all the children that are depending on each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. All right, so let me give you some background on the story of Samson. Okay, let's unplug all the PSPs. Somebody killed the wireless router so nobody has signal. I want to give you a little background on the story of Samson. Wow. Alright, it starts in Judges. Thank you, that was cool. It starts in Judges 13. And, and here God's people are at it all over again. They're living like they don't know God. They're living like God hasn't done nothing in their lives. They're living like, like they have no experience with God. Bottom line, they're living again in rebellion. Again. And, and so God, you know, when, when, whenever, whenever, whenever um, this is just a pattern in the word of God. Whenever God's people start living like there is no God, like God isn't their strong man, like God isn't the one in charge, God usually gives them over to someone that is. Okay? So that, that's the, the bottom line of, of Samson, basically. he, he give, Hallelujah. He puts them in captivity. Under the Philistines. And so now God's people are in captivity under another strong man. Side note, and it's a very important thing. See, every time God's people thought they can break free from living under God, from doing things God's way, God gives us another strong man. Listen, all the single ladies in here that says, all I want is a strong man. You already have one. Is he the right one? I'm not making any friends this morning. Alright, so God tells this barren lady, through an angelic visitation, this angel appears to her. She's barren. She never had kids. She's old already. He tells her that an angel of the Lord appears to her and says, Listen, right now you're pregnant, and the son that you're going to have, I want him to be a Nazarite from birth. Now, a Nazarite was a person that was consecrated to God. Nazareth means set apart. So people, this is not how it usually happens. People used to make a Nazarite vow, right? Good men and women of God used to say, you know what? I wanna, I'm going to take the Nazarite vow. People like Jonathan and, and Merck would say one day, Pastor, I want to take a Nazarite vow. And, and what that would mean that is for a period of time, they would have to follow three simple rules. Number one, abstain from strong drink. No alcohol, no grapes, raisins, nothing that was even used in making the alcohol. That's how serious that vow is. Jonathan just dropped out. He said, forget it. <laughs> so, number one, you, you, you had to abstain from strong drink. Number two, you could not be in contact with any dead body. A dead body would, would bring defilement to you. You could have no contact with a dead body. If somebody were near you and they were dying, you need to not stop and pray. You need to say, peace out. Because I'm, I'm, if that person dies in your presence, you blew it. Okay? So the Nazarite vow, no alcohol, no dead bodies, and the last part of the vow, no razor, no haircuts. You would have you let your hair grow long. Your pastor's a Nazarite. No. You let your hair grow long as an outward symbol of your dedication to God. Because remember, in, in, that, in that time, men with long hair, that was a sign of weakness. That was against God. But as a, as a Nazarite, it's an outward sign saying, I'm, I am weak, but I'm strong in the Lord. Because I've committed my life. I need God. I am that weak that I need God. I need God's strength to see me through. And so a Nazarite, it, that's an outward vow, right? But it's not like this with, with, uh, with Samson because Samson didn't make a choice. He, he, tells, he tells the lady, your son's gonna be born a Nazarite and he's gonna be a Nazarite for life. Nazarites only did this for 30 days, 40 days, 100 days tops. And then after they, 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 they followed through with it, then they would come to the high priest, they'd shave their heads and they'd burn the hair and give us a, a sacrificial offering and in that, then they would receive this like super duty blessing that God would bless them. Amen. They'd be blessed from then on. But if at any point in those 30 to 100 days, if they would come in contact with a dead body, cut their hair or have a drink, they'd have to start all over again. Key to remember, they'd have to shave their heads and start all over again. It looked like there's a lot of Nazarite people in here starting all over again. That was a bold joke, I'm sorry. Anyway, this was not the case with Samson. His mother was told to raise him from birth as a Nazarite. So Samson was born a Nazarite. He was born fully committed, set apart from God. And the angel told the mother that he would launch the deliverance of God's people from the Philistines. So Samson was born with a purpose To bring freedom to the captives. Say amen. Now, even though Samson was set apart, amen, dedicated to God, raised to be a man of God, he didn't always do the right things. He didn't always make good decisions. Say he's only a man. All right. So, (laughs) throughout Samson's life, we read throughout Samson's life, we read in the story that God is with them and that whenever he needs strength it says the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he gets this supernatural freakish strength. Okay? Now, a lot of people paint the picture you think Samson is this big Samson the is this big muscle-bound steroid no neck kind of guy the word doesn't say that his strength was was not like victor's strength his strength was a supernatural strength it didn't come from his body it came from god it was a supernatural strength that's important thing to notice amen so one of the first examples that we read about about his strength was he found himself it says on one day him and his parents were walking to the vineyard how many of you see a problem with that right off the bat He's a Nazarite. He can't even touch grapes, raisins. What's he doing in the vineyard? Anybody have a problem with that? I did. But, okay, so it, it says he, he went to the vineyard, and somehow he wandered off from his parents, because the next part of the story, he's alone. And what happens but this huge lion comes out. That, that would happen in those days, right? and and because he's in the vineyard he's in the forest and so a lion comes out and starts roaring against him and the word says that the spirit of god came upon samson and he ripped the lion apart with his bare hands as if he was a little goat say that's strong strong have you seen a lion in the zoo those are like the old lions that are fat and out of shape and have you seen a lion on National Geographic? There, six of us couldn't tear that lion apart. You understand? He killed all of us. But, but this Holy Spirit comes upon him and he rips him to pieces. And see, God was showing S- Samson that even early on in his life, God was showing him, I'm going to give you all the strength that you need to overcome anything that stands in your way. Say Amen. God was showing him anything he needed any he would have the strength to overcome any trap any enemy but as we look into Samson's story we see that doesn't seem that he doesn't seem to take his vow too seriously we see because on the way back through the vineyard, again he's in the vineyard, on the way back to the vineyard, that dead body of the lion is there ripped open and it looks like some bees had, had made an, a hive there and there was honey. And so Samson said, hmm, honey. And he scooped, he's touching the dead body. How I many you know that's against the vow? He's defiled. He's touching the dead body and he's scooping up honey, and he eats it, and there was so much that he brought some home to his parents, and he said, here, mom, have some. And his mother took it and ate, and his father took it and ate, but he didn't tell them where it came from. Because he didn't want them to know that he was already not taking his vow very seriously. And so, in the next thing, so that's one violation. In the next thing, it says, Samson then sees this woman, Samson then, Samson sees this woman, And he says, she looks good to me. You want to translate that? He sees this woman and he says, Daddy, Mommy, get me that woman to marry because she looks good to me. Didn't know nothing about her. All he knew was that she's a Philistine because he went outside to get her. And now Samson, all the scriptures that Samson had up until this time as a devout man of God, as coming from a devout family, he knew the scriptures. And the scripture says that that God's children had enough business marrying children outside of the faith. Because what, what would they have in common? I still believe that today. What would you have in common? Should, should I marry a, a, a follower of this one or of that God? How would we have union together, right? Yeah, we could have some fun together. But when it gets hard, when it gets rough, how are we going to try? What are we going to pray together? What are we going to agree together? You understand there's no union between light and darkness. So he knew this already, but it says God was in there and God was going to use this. For, for God's glory because God has his heart so set against the Philistines he wanted them so bad to, to use Samson to just break these guys so he said he uses this and so Samson gets married boy he's about to get married Samson is about to get married and so what does he do he throws a bachelor party which is customary of the Philistines but listen guys this is a seven-day party seven day how many you can hang at a seven-day party get out of here seven days this was customarily a drinking party so for seven days people are getting trashed and wasted and god knows what else is going on at these parties these are an ungodly people they don't live in fear of god you understand their gods have multiple breasts. So you can imagine, you know, what goes on at these parties. Anybody with me? Okay. So, anybody has a, have a problem with that? That here is this Nazarite, a man that can't touch any strong drink, and he's throwing a drinking party for seven days. Now, the word doesn't tell us that he drank. It doesn't tell us that he didn't. But it doesn't tell us that he did. But how many of you know that for a Nazarite, a seven-day drinking party is a dangerous place to be? Side note. Some of our worst struggles come to us simply because we put ourselves in the wrong place and we surround ourselves with the wrong people. Say amen if you've experienced that. I'd like to take that a step further, even with the kids as we were talking about. Why would we put a computer, I'm sorry, but why would we put a computer in the room of a, of a preteen or teen, knowing that they are a walking, raging hormone? Why would we put a computer with internet access in the room where we can't see, knowing that if we were to Google math teacher... Within three or four pages, you'd have naked teen midgets kissing math teachers. You you understand what I'm saying? It's a dangerous world, isn't it? It's a dangerous place. Why would we want this dangerous place in our home? If you did it, do something about it. We need to decide who the strong man is going to be in our home. I wish there were some parents that agree with me today. If God is going to be the strong man in your home, then you have to realize today that every area of your life matters to Him. Every area of your life matters to Him. Now listen to me. This is in no way, shape, or form a message on legalism. I'm not telling you what to do, what not to do. Don't do this, don't do that. God won't love you. God's mad at you. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just telling you today, choose a strong man and you're not it. Choose a strong man and you're not it. I'm telling you today that there really is only one strong man. And, and if you think about that, with five months of mixed messages versus five days of truth, it's not going to be easy deciding who the strong man is in your life. So quiet. Quiet. But it doesn't have to be this way. That's really a matter of choice. You can decide today to make some changes. I pray that you do for you and your family. But you, you need to decide what goes into your body. Amen? You need to decide what goes in. Why do people go on diets? How many of you have ever been on a diet? Half the church. Why do you go on a diet? Because you see something you don't like on you, right? How come we don't go on spiritual diets? How come when we see things we don't like in our character, we don't say, hey, I got to go on a diet. How come there aren't a thousand spiritual diet books? How come there aren't a thousand diets online for, for spiritual diets? But, but for diets, why? Because we're vain people, aren't we? One wrong bulge or curve, and we're like, no, I don't match the model on TV. That model's airbrushed. Get over it. Can I release you from that? every magazine is airbrushed it's not real makeup is a wonderful thing and so is photoshop women were born with curves and that is all good thank you Somebody's screaming in the bathroom that's crazy amen so see god had plans to use samson to start the deliverance of a people you know from the philistines and so Even throughout Samson's disobedience at times and carelessness at others, God still fulfills his purpose. Because, see, God's purpose is going to be fulfilled one way or another. However, how you come out of it depends up to you. Depends on how you live. Amen? So Samson... And the Philistines go back and forth against each other. I mean, there is so much drama in this book. It's actually fun to read. In one point, he, he, um, at this party, he, has, he, he gives them a riddle. And they gave him, him 30 men as like his, his crew, kind of as bachelors. But they're really Philistines. They weren't his men. And so he says, I'm going to give you guys a riddle. And if you can solve the riddle, I'll buy the 30 men 30 brand new garments. Now, a garment, a a fine garment, somebody in that custom would be happy if they owned one their lifetime. Okay, that's how expensive and costly this is, right? He, Samson says, I'll buy all 30 of your men fine garments if you solve this riddle. And if you don't solve this riddle, you got to buy me 30 garments, all right? So he gives them this riddle. These knuckleheads, they can't solve it for nothing. What do they do? They grab his wife, and they say, you're going to seduce him and you're going to find out the answer to the riddle. And if you don't, we're going to burn down your house and burn down your father and your father and his house. So this Philistine woman, either because she was scared or either because those are her people, she comes to Samson and she nags him and nags him and nags him. How many of you know the nagging and nagging? It says she nags him to death until he gives in. And he tells her the answer to the riddle. Well, the next day, the guy say, here's the answer to the riddle. And he says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would not. Look at Aixa's face. (laughs) That's what the man said. You think he was angry at his wife? The man was angry. He said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't know that. And so he gets mad. He's in a situation now because he don't have money to pay for 30. I mean, remember, those are really, really expensive things. But once again, God gives him an idea and God gives him supernatural power. You know what he does? (coughs) Check this out. He goes down to a nearby Philistine village and he kills 30 men of of their people. And he takes their clothes. Is is he the man or what? He kill he said, I owe you 30 suits. Hold up. He goes, he kills 30 of their cousins, takes their isn't it a wonderful children's story? He he takes their their clothes, he takes those 30 linen garments and he gives it to them to pay back for, for the debt that he had. See, God provided for him. God provided for his need. God empowered him. This is some violent stuff, isn't it? This is a violent story. Everywhere he turns around, people are dying. Great children's stuff this morning. But you see, God doesn't play with his enemies. This is something we really need to understand. God does not play with his enemies. With his enemies, he is dead serious. See, so many of us want God's power and strength to get us through the day. We want God to release revival. We want God to heal us. But then we want to dance with the devil at night and on the weekends. We want to play with all his toys. We want to be in the devil's toy box playing with all his stuff. Woo, this is fun. This is great. But God, I need revival. Why doesn't revival come to the church? Why? I got to find me another church. No, you need to leave that church because you're polluting that church and you're stopping God's move. Amen? God is dead serious about his enemies. How do you become an enemy of God? You live like he's not the strong man. God is serious about that. When we challenge God on that level, can you imagine? That would be like, if I pick the smallest kid in here, that would be like him fighting Jonathan and and saying, and that's not even nowhere near it, but you understand the picture. Like Jonathan or a bruiser here could just step on him and and squash him. And so it's the same arrogance when we say, God, I'm the strong man. I could do this. I got my own life. I take care of this. I handle it. That's how you become an enemy of God. God says, okay, you're an enemy. We make ourselves enemies, but God is serious about His enemy. So let me ask you again, who's your strong man? Because see, you can't have two strong men. Or you could, but God will not be one of them. He's a jealous God, it says. So now, back to Samson. Samson finds himself in another heap of trouble. It leads him face to face with the Philistines. And once again, God releases his supernatural strength. And Samson grabs... Samson... I thought you guys fell asleep. Grabs a jawbone of a donkey. I said donkey. I didn't say the other word. It's a children's service. So he grabs the jawbone of a donkey and he massacres oh, a thousand men. One thousand men he kills. One man. I, I couldn't do that in a video game. One man kills a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And after that fight, the word of God says, Samson says, Yo God, I'm I'm thirsty. You're gonna give me all this strength and all this power and then let me die of thirst? And so so God, God points at a rock, and from a rock, water comes out, and Samson is, is nourished. Isn't that incredible? Is that like nuts? Can you imagine if we live like that today? Isn't he the same God yesterday, today, and forever? How come we don't do how come not that I want you to go out and kill a thousand people, but how come we don't live in that kind of authority? Say, God, I'm thirsty. There's some people that do, and I've heard a lot of awesome stories. God, I'm hungry, and God will send groceries to the house. God, I'm hungry, and God will send money, and and there's been some incredible things. But for the most part, we don't walk in that. So God releases this supernatural strength, and now it says, After all of this, Samson judged and defended Israel for the next 20 years. Samson became a judge. And so he judged and lived and there was peace and there was God. You know, Samson finally understood that God had provided for him, that God will meet your every need. And so for 20 years, there was peace in Israel. The Philistines kept their ground because obviously, you know, if a man could kick my butt, you know, a thousand of of us with a jawbone, I'm not going to just go messing with the Israelites anymore. So there was peace for 20 years. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. It seems Samson learned that God, you know, can and does provide for all his needs. And so there's peace and everything for 20 years. But after 20 years, Samson gets an itch. Samson gets an itch. And so he starts rolling with this Philistine fantasy in his mind again. Samson had a real weakness for Philistine women or for women in general. So Samson gets an itch after 20 years. He, he fantasizes for this Philistine and it says Samson goes into Gaza and there he sees a prostitute. you you believe that? This is a judge. Somebody that God, the Holy Spirit falls on and he sees power. Somebody that says, God, I'm thirsty and God brings water out of a rock. But now he gets an itch and he goes all the way to Gaza to find the prostitute. Is that sad? Men, let's not go there. So it, it, he, he goes and he finds, a, so 20 years of victory and in one night he falls. Men, how many understand that our weaknesses don't change? God gives us power to overcome them, but if our strength is not in him, we will still fall. Can anybody say amen? Can a strong guy in here say Amen. See, once you think you got your weakness licked, once you think you got it covered, you're an alcoholic and you've been sober for three years, four years, ten years, and you say, man, I don't got a problem with that. And you start hanging out with people from work that drink. And, and all of a sudden you're hanging out and you say, I could go to a bar. That's no big deal. I'm, I've been sober for four years, for ten years. But, but that weakness is still there. And it matters who you surround yourself with. Children, please listen. Who Bad company corrupts good character. Who you surround yourself with determines who you will become. And trust me, it could be 10, 20, 30 years sober. If you start hanging out in bars with people that drink, you will fall. Okay? So he falls. And it says that that somebody saw him going into the prostitute house. Into the brothel. And it says the word got all around, and the Philistines came all around the city, and they were waiting and hiding to destroy him. They were gonna grab him in the morning. But it says, At midnight God delivered it. Now God delivers him in a whorehouse. Do you do you see like the mercy and grace of God? I think like why? Let him die. He chose his strong man, let him die. But thank God God doesn't think that way, amen. We could be in our worst mess and God could still send the Deliverer. In our worst mess, God could still empower us to walk away. And so what does He do? The whole city is locked down. In those times, they locked down the city with gates and bars. God empowers Him. He goes to the city gates and He rips the city gates out of the floor. With the bars and posts and everything, he lifts them out of the floor and it says he walks back to Hebron. 38 miles. So that's a strong dude. 38 miles, he's walking with the gates to the whole city. Obviously nobody messed with him, right? So God delivered him again. See, in the middle of your worst mess, God can empower you to break free from the enemy and God can empower you to break free. The chains and the gates and the bars and anything that's holding you, say Amen. But then right after this, the next verse says, He met Delilah and he fell in love with Delilah, another Philistine woman. Why? Say, say, Samson is a chump. So it says, he fell in love with this woman in the valley of Sorek named Delilah. And after this, after all of this, then God again had delivered him miraculously. After all of this, he falls for this pagan woman. Her name in Hebrew means weak. Delilah means weak. Isn't it something that Samson, the strong man, gets taken out by Delilah, the weak woman? I just thought that was cool. So he gets taken out. You know the story. The Philistines come together. They give Delilah a lot of money. They told a man, I mean, fat amount of money. They just gave her like loads of money. They said, if you find out the source of this man's strength, because he's killing us everywhere we turn. But if you find out the source of his strength, we'll give you all of this money. You guys know the story. Delilah goes in and, and every night Delilah tells me, you love me, don't you? And he said, of course I love you, baby. And well, if you love me, why don't you tell me your strength? Oh, come on, baby, you don't need to know that. No, if you really love me and you really trust me, guys, when women start that nonsense, get, get to step. If you really love me, you'll do something. When a woman or a man is asking you to do something against the will of God, against what you know is right, step. Amen. Okay, but you know how the story goes. He says, oh, I love you. Of course I love you. She goes, well, tell me the source of your strength. And so he gives her like some story. He says, well, if you tie this with this, then I'll wake up and I won't have any strength. Do you know the next morning she does it? She, he says, if you do three little cords or whatever. So while he's sleeping, she does the three little cords. And the next morning she, she shakes him and she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And so he, and know that the Philistines were in the conference room right next door. They were waiting, because in case it was true, they were waiting, right? So, so they were in the in the bedroom hiding, and and he and she says, "Samson, the Philistines are apart. And He gets up and he breaks the, you know, the supernatural power comes. He breaks the cords, and she goes, "Oh, you lied to me. You don't love me." And it goes again and again and three times. Delilah says, "Come on, if you really, really love me, then you tell me the source of your strength." Well. Each time she did it, would you trust a woman that that three times tries to take you out? I wouldn't. I sleep with one eye open from then on. Woman, you come near me with anything, I'm knocking you out. It's done. I ain't. I ain't playing no more. Right? By the second time, maybe you would have might have caught me once in a in a moment. You know, in a weak moment or whatever. You asked me at the right time. Okay, yeah. But but. It's two and three times, so now it's the fourth time, and and Samson she finally seduces him to death, literally, and at that point he gives up the last of the conditions of his Nazarite vow, he succumbed completely to the girl, and his covenant relationship with the Lord was severed. He tells her, if you shave, the the source of my strength is the vow that I have with God. And the, the outward sign of that vow is my long hair. He had seven braids. I mean, you know, Samson had cornrows. That's crazy, right? I never thought of that. But it says he has seven braids. And so he says, if you shave my head... All my strength will be gone. My vow would be broken. You know how it happens, of course, the next morning. No, you know what he does, she does to him that night, which is so vicious? She lulls him to sleep on her lap. Is that an ugly picture? Evil. That means she's playing with his hair and he falls asleep on her lap. She's probably telling him beautiful things. Oh, you're such a strong man. Oh, you're such a powerful man. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're the only man for me. Oh, you're the best man in the world. Oh, I love this. And I, until he's just so happy, he falls asleep stupid and dumb and happy. Right? And it says that he then, she then motions for everybody that was in the living room to come in. They shave his head. They tie him up. And she mocks him. Does that make any man in here angry? She mocks him. She, she rocks him to sleep on her lap. She, they shave his head. They bind him and then she mocks him. And then she calls, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he wakes up from his sleep. This is so sad. Listen. He wakes up from his sleep and he says, he thinks to himself, I'll get out as before and I'll shake myself free. But he didn't know the Lord had left him. It says, they grabbed him, they gouged out his eyes. This is a wonderful children's story. They gouged out his eyes with fire and then they bound him with shackles and they put him to work pushing a huge millstone to grind grain in prison. And if you get the picture, it's usually for an oxen to do. They tie it to an animal. Here they tie it to Samson. He's blind, he's shackled, and he's tied to this millstone. And all he's doing all day is going around and around and around and around and never getting anywhere. That's what this man, Samson, might have been mighty in power, but he was weak in character. Amen? And what he failed to understand is that God is the strong man. He is the only strong man. And listen, this is how God deals with rebellion. So, so please listen up for a second. I'm almost done. This is how God deals with rebellion. He warns us through his word, he will woo us through his spirit, he'll intervene supernaturally to keep us from destruction. He'll he'll, he'll counsel us through other people that love us. That's why it's so important to be in church, to be with God's people all the time. And and through, through our parents, through members of the body of Christ, he, he'll counsel us. But if we insist on going our own way, he'll take his hands off and he'll let us go. How many of you know and seen that happen to people? It's a devastating thing. Some of us have been there. But thank God we're here now. Amen. This picture of Samson grinding away at the mill is a picture of what happens in the inner man. See, there's a, bond, there's a blinding, there's a loss of morality, a loss of vision, a loss of what is right. And then there's a binding, a loss of our freedom, a loss of our liberty. And then there's a grinding, a sense of boredom, a sense of purposelessness as we just go about life going around and around and around and never getting anywhere. The good news is that there is a way out today come on there's a way out but you won't find it in the five months of entertainment you need to find it in the five days of the word and you need to even maybe change that balance do you know that entertainment amusement you know if we break down that word what it means this is cool listen amuse comes from a french word which means to stare stupidly Serious. Look it up. Google it. A muse means to stare stupidly. The word muse is, is a state of meditation. Think about that. So as we're being entertained, we're staring stupidly, entering a state of, of, of meditation. How many of you seen that on your kids? How many of you seen that on your husbands, on your spouses? You say, Jonathan. Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. But, but the kid is just... And, right? and the house could fall down, right? I mean, the, the earthquake could happen, the glasses fall, the, the dog blows up, whatever happens. And it would just be... Right? It's a state of meditation, staring stupidly. That's what we do for amusement. That's our entertainment. Whoa! You know what a synonym for, for amusement is other than entertain? It's to divert, to distract. Wow. Well, my old youth, if you can be distracted, you can be destroyed. If you can be distracted, if you can be amused, meditating, staring stupidly for five months out of the year, you can be destroyed. Amen? Amen? I mean, you guys don't stare like that at me because I'm not that amusing because I'm not that entertaining and I won't apologize for that because I don't want you to be blind about it. I don't want you to follow. You should never follow a pastor, a leader, a man of God, nobody. You should test what he says. You should see if it rings true with your spirit. You should see if it rings true with the word of God. If, If you just lose it and you just stare stupidly in amazement, you will do all the stupid things that we hear about on TV, right? All the churches that are saying, there's no hell. All the churches that are saying, no, the mark of the beast is not 666. That's a misinterpretation. Go and get that tattooed. You know that my man in Florida is having that mega, mega church and, and, and he's getting, all his leaders are getting tattooed with the mark of the beast in the name of Jesus. Why? Because we're meditating stupid, listening to this idiot who says he's the Jesus Christ. It's crazy, Right? So, so don't ever follow that way. Unfortunately, we do it though in those five months. I'm saying wake up. Who's the strong man? Amen? Last part of the story, I promise. Verse 26, it says, And Samson said, And Samson, He's not really a strong man at this point, but Samson says to the lad, because now remember he's, he's imprisoned. And he's just, they bring him out to laugh at him. Is that a sad? This is a man of God, a Nazarite set apart, born with a purpose that God had plans not to harm and to to give him a future and a hope. And here he is in prison blind and they bring him out to laugh at him. And it says, Samson says to the kid who held him by the hand, he said, let me feel the pillars on which this house rests. Come on, somebody get excited. He says, let me feel these pillars that I may lean on them. In other words, he's trying to tell the kid, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. Just let me feel the, you know, the real big, the main pillars that hold up this whole place. Just let me feel them so I can rest on them. Ha! Now, the house was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were all there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson was made sport. And so then Samson grabbed the pillars and he called to the Lord and he said, Oh God... Remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this one more time, God, that I may be avenged upon the Philistines. See, like many of us, Samson may have justified his sin in his own mind, thinking, well, I'm not hurting anybody, I'm only hurting myself. But see, his disobedience led to the giving of glory to false gods. He was the false gods trophy now. See, the message preached by the followers of Dagon, that was the God of the Philistines, was clear. He said, they said, our God is stronger than the God of Israel because we have conquered Samson. Listen to me, how often has the disobedience of God's people left many to doubt our God? Are y'all ain't with me yet. See, but even when God takes His hands off of us, even when God lets us go, He is still right there available to us. He never utterly abandons us. And He didn't in this case of Samson. He was right there standing ready to respond and listen to what's going on. See, Samson had some time grinding at the wheel. Some people believe he did that for a few months. So what happens after you shaved your head a few months ago, the hair starts to grow back. Come on, somebody get excited. See, it's been a few months now, and Samson has been doing this for months for a long time and he can't see anything so guess what there's no more distraction there's no more entertainment there's no more amusement there's no more all he can do is is what he knows all he can do is connect with his God because his life is purposelessness he wakes up he goes to sleep and all he does is get shackled on this thing and he goes around and around and around how many people do we know like that going through life Blind around and around and around with no purpose. But see, Samson's hair is starting to grow back. And so he gets to start reminded of the vow that he was set apart for life. And now remember, the vow of the Nazarite was that if you mess up, you shaved your head and you started again. See, in the Nazarite vow, there was a do-over clause. Come on, get some, somebody get excited. In, the, in, the, in this vow, there was a do-over clause. How many, come on kids, how many of you play a game and when it doesn't go your way, you say, do-over, do-over. Right? All the time. Yeah, I can't play games with kids with video games. They'll play for 60 minutes and, all right, it's my turn because you died. No, do do-over. 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 Well, in the Nazarite clause, there's a do-over clause. And it means if you mess up, if you defile any of that, you can shave your head and you can start over. God allows do-overs. You, you, you shaved your head and you started again. And now that his head had been shaved, he can start again by committing to God. Say amen. Stand up if you need a do-over today. Come on. And so after that prayer, it says he grabs the two pillars and he pushes them apart and he dies with the Philistines. But the verse says that he killed more Philistines that day in his death than he did throughout his whole life. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. If you're willing to go back to the place of disobedience and face it and die to it, then right there the result will be a greater victory than you've ever had before. Let's get the worship team up here. If you need a do-over, just stand today, come on. Who cares who sees you? Who cares who knows? Who cares? the the bottom line they've been probably laughing at you anyway because you've been going in circles and circles trying to get ahead but always falling in the same place and getting up again and trying to get ahead but always falling in the same place they've already made sport of you they've already laughed at you so who cares if they see you standing up today with a head shaved committed to God saying God I'm going to be a Nazarite today God I'm going to set myself apart today God I'm going after you today thank God that you allow duo who's your strong man i love joshua in 24 he says and and this is what i'll say to you today if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship god then choose a god whom you'd rather serve and do it today Choose one of the gods of your ancestors. That means choose one of the santos that your grandma has. Choose one of the espíritus the and negros that your, your cousin and your, and your aunts worship. And, and choose one of those plastic gods that they have and light candles too. Choose any one of those gods if you want to today. But Joshua says, as for me and my family, we're going to worship God. I wanna challenge you today to come. Come right up to the altar. Come right up to the front. Come right up to the place of God and stand between the two pillars of your own disobedience. Come on, I'm standing here already so I don't have to come up. I'm not judging you. I'm not talking bad about you. I'm here and I'm standing between the two pillars of my disobedience and in prayer and in worship. I'm gonna tear them down today. God is your strong man today? Come stand behind these people that are here. Come stand with them. Come strengthen them. Come encourage them. Come hug them and stand with them and, and, and let them know they're empowered. Let them know that there's that there's faith. Let them know that strength. Let's, can we do that? Sustain. Only you can sustain me. That song that you did, only you can sustain me, can we go there? And then we'll pray, and then and then we'll leave here. But we're not going to leave here the same way. I hate the end of service, I hate doing altar calls, I hate this. Because to me sometimes, this is so religion, this is so phony, you know? You get moved, a little sad story, you come to the front you say, oh God! And then you go and you live the same way. What for? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's fake, man. That's phony. Drop that nonsense. Don't come. Don't come with that nonsense. Amen? I'd rather have people tell me, listen, man, I ain't ready to do what God wants me to do. I'm not dead yet. I'd rather people be straight with me like that than come in phony baloney and fill the altars. I don't care about this. I only care about this if God is doing something in your heart, man. If God is strengthening you and encouraging you, Come on, let's do it,
0: man, let's do it. Thank you for supporting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We are a new and growing church with a passion and a heart towards enjoying God, serving people, and building healthy families. We pray that you will continue to fellowship and grow with us as we follow hard after God. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. God bless.